It's hard when you ask the sound person to come up and share something. That's hard for them. But she's got this. She's amazing. Let's give thanks for Kevin and Hiram and Kelly Joe for all the work they do with sound right now. Let's do that. Yes. Thank you. And it, Kelly, she, does, she doesn't just do sound. That's true. <laughs> she also leads um, with Brian and Chris. She leads our care portal ministry. So we gave to care portal this um, month. And I just wanted Kelly Joe to share a little bit about that. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, um, our care portal works with DCFS to help keep kids who are at risk of being taken out of the home um, to keep kids in the home. That's the primary goal or to get kids back into the home or reuni reunited with family members. So most of the time, the family, it's not a great situation. If your kids are ever being taken out of your home, um, it's not awesome. <laughs> like somebody has messed up. So most of the time when we come to these people um, and help out, um, they're devastated. Um, if you've experienced that, I'm sure you, you know the heartache that is involved with that. Either you've messed up or something has messed up in your life that you're in a situation where your kids are being taken away from you. Um, in this case, um, Sonia, um, her daughter was murdered by her husband um, in August. And so the kids, um, she lives in Louisiana. She's moved back here so that the kids who are in high school can finish and she has five grandchildren. They're living in a two-bedroom apartment in Magna, and um, they're devastated. Like, it's not a typical situation because Sonia or the kids haven't really done anything wrong. Something has been done to them, and they are no longer with their mother, and the father is in prison. Um, so this year, we um, we met a need by get, bringing a trash can and a, an office chair. That was the and I just asked her, I'm like, is there anything else you need? So she, we got a bookshelf for her. And then Sarah had asked, like, can you reach out to the caseworker to see if we can bless them for Christmas? So I reached out to Aaron, the caseworker, and they were going to do something for three of the children, but not all of them. And so she's like, I am so grateful that you guys want to do this because our resources are very limited and we were only going to be able to help bless three of the kids at Christmas. So she was ecstatic. So we're also doing stuff for her and we're bringing them to her today, to Sonia and the kids today at 830. And then I'm meeting Aaron on Tuesday to bring stuff to her. And she was just overwhelmed. I'm like, Hey, can I meet you? Cause we got some stuff for you. And she's like, what? Like, she was, she was so like, just beside herself. She was not expecting it. So, um, yeah, I just, um, like when we talked about giving gifts, like I just thank Sonia. She's like, thank you so much for doing this. So I want to thank everybody who has provided stuff. And I appreciate that you wrote your names on the gifts because I want them to see that it's not an organization that's doing this. It's actual families that are doing this. So that's why we had you write your names on there. Um, when she, she had thanked, she'd asked me to thank everybody. And I just thanked her. I'm like, thank you for allowing us to do this. Cause I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you are in need. It is very hard to receive people's help. So I just, I have just been reiterating that to her. Like, thank you for allowing us to do this because I, I realize it's hard to accept help, especially in hard situations. So 
thank you. If you participated, we truly, truly thank you for blessing this family. And I will let you guys know how it goes tonight. So I'm so excited to bring these gifts to them. I cannot wait. I've been waiting for weeks. Yes. Thank you, Kelly Joe. Yeah. You can clap for Kelly. So normally uh, we don't know all the details of the stories like we do with this particular story, but this has been a very public story that's actually been in the news and the family has just been very um, forthcoming with lots of details and sharing a lot with us. So we were able to share that information with you today, but we also um, just want to bless uh, the caseworkers and DCFS and partner with them and helping to do whatever we can to bring God's light and um, and peace to really challenging situations. So speaking of the care portal, um, we had this display up kind of like an angel tree display. And I had said, you know, as a family, we wanted to give something. And I said, I'll just see what's left over, what nobody takes. And the last one that sat there for like two Sundays was an NFL hoodie for one of the teenager boys. And I was like, an NFL hoodie. Do they sell NFL hoodies? I said, I got it. I took the I took the the tag and I said, we will get this NFL hoodie. And I said, but it can't just be NFL because I need to know his team or else I'm going to get him a Seahawks sweatshirt, right? Yeah, yeah. Some people say yes. Some people say no. But then the more I, I finally, I took the tag because nobody had taken it. And I was like, I got to figure out this kid's team because what if, God forbid, he's a Raiders fan like Aaron. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do that. And so I, I text um, Kelly Joe. I said, please figure out what team this kid is on. And she sends me back and she says, um, guess what? It's Seahawks. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I got to get the Seahawks sweatshirt. I was so happy. But if you know me well, the only reason I'm a Seahawks fan is because I have tremendous nostalgia from being from the Seattle area. I like tag football. But the most important reason, and Aaron is helping with PowerPoint over there, is I love to have something to tease Aaron about because he is a Raiders fan. And for real, you got to have something to tease your husband about. Because, like, how can you be a Jesus follower and be a Raiders fan, right? <laughs> but meanwhile, Kelly Joe messages me and she says, it's actually not one NFL hoodie. It's two. And I was like, what? I didn't sign up for two hoodies. And she's like, and the other one is, I kid you not, a Raiders fan. <laughs> So I had to buy a Raiders sweatshirt and a Seahawks sweatshirt for the care portal. I know, I know, we can clap, it's fun. I just love that I got to give to this family and it's like we're, it's like we're speaking the same language. Like, I don't even know them, but I get to connect with them on some, le some level. And I think I'm stretching this, excuse me. I know I'm stretching this, but I think God's speaking to me that he loves the details, he loves our family, and he loves this family. So I want to start with some prayer. And I'm praying today that God speaks to each one of us in our own language with something personal, that detailed, that he would have the Rudd family give Sonia's family sweatshirts so specifically, like that God would come and meet you and speak your language in such a detailed way. So Lord, 
I am one person who's had fun preparing and fun reading scripture and thinking about who you are today. But Holy Spirit, you are way bigger and you know the heart language of every person in this room. So I ask right now in the name of Jesus that um, carried over through worship, carried over through prayer time, carried into afternoon lunches, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to people today and their heart language in ways that they can understand with details that will reach them. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we're speaking about our extraordinary God and ordinary people. We've been doing that this last um, Advent season. Today, I want to speak about how an extraordinary God becomes ordinary like us, which is unbelievable that this majestic, amazing, unfathomable God would become ordinary like us. And before we get into all the ordinary, I want to read from one of my favorite books. This is a book. It's called Praise Him. It's by Vivian Hibbert. It's just like 120 pages, 130 pages of lists with scripture references of reasons we can praise God. So if you're ever at a loss for words, you can buy one of these books. It's called Praise Him and just read off the reasons. And I'm telling you what, it'll make your heart happy. I'm going to read just a page and a half. Praise Him because He's the internal one, the unchangeable one, the righteous one, the merciful one, the faithful one. Praise Him, the loving one. Praise Him, the living one, the holy one, the just one. Praise Him because He existed before the day, before the earth, before the foundations of the earth. He existed before God made anything. Praise Him because He comes quickly. Praise him because he comes gently. Praise him because he comes meekly. Praise him because he comes suddenly. He comes like the rain. He comes like the wind. He inhabits all of eternity. Praise him because he puts eternity into our hearts. Praise him because he measured the waters. He measured the heavens, the dust of the earth, the mountains, and the hills. Praise him because he does not need to be taught. Ha <laughs> ha. He does not need counsel or instruction. Praise him because there's no one like him. Praise him because he created all things and knows them by name. Praise him for he created the ends of the earth. He never faints or gets weary. Praise him because there is no savior beside the Lord. There is no God beside our God. There is none beside him. Praise him because he is the God who speaks and praise him because he is resurrected. Whew. That's just a page and a half. You can praise him all day long. That's how extraordinary, how amazing, how majestic is our God. And yet he came and he humbled himself and he sees us. He sees me. He sees you. He cares about us. Psalm 8 from King, that King David wrote for all of Israel to sing says it this way. Imagine singing this song. And we do. We sing variations of it. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. 
When I look at the night sky, when I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds, the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Amen. Who are we, Lord? God, creator of the universe, creator of our own hearts. Who are you? Who are we that you would think about us and care for us? That you would crown us with glory and honor and give us authority because maybe not in this room, but if we look around, we can see that sometimes we're not so glorious. Sometimes we're not so honorable. Sometimes we don't steward the earth and our authority well, right? And yet God still considers us. God includes us. God wants us to partner with him. So ambitious and so relentless is God's affection for us that even when humanity rejects and um, turns from God, God sent prophets and they didn't listen to him. We didn't listen to prophets. God sent Jesus, and sometimes we don't listen to Jesus, right? And God sends the Holy Spirit, and sometimes we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, but we can, we can. The Holy Spirit is speaking. 1 John 4, 9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God loves us. God sent Jesus, and that is what we're celebrating. That's why we give gifts and have this joy, because God is a giver. God gave us Jesus, and we want to participate in that joy. We read about when God sent Jesus in Matthew 1, and I'm going to repeat this. I know we've read it in weeks past, but it says, Joseph, this is the Lord speaking to Joseph through an angel. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So I just want to read that first verse again. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And all this takes place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph, son of David. God was saying to Joseph through the angel, Joseph, I know you by name. I know your family. I know where you're from. I know your history. I know where you come from, your language and your story. Don't be afraid. It's like God is saying, Crystal, daughter of Jody. Eric, son of Ron. Caleb, 
from Utah, Mike from California, Raylin of the Caddo, Kiowa, Delaware, Cheyenne, Arapaho. I did it in the right order too. Michelle of Venezuela, I know you, do not be afraid. I know your family, I know your land, I know your story, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid to take the next steps in your journey with the Lord because the Holy Spirit is up to something extraordinary in you. There's good news that can save you and save people from their sins. Emmanuel, God is with us. My dear friend, Pastor Peter Asiyama of Kingdom Glory Church, he's originally from Ghana. And I just love it when he says it to me. He always says, God is with us. God is with us. And he's got this deep, deep voice. And I'm just like, God is with us. We can do anything. We can come from Ghana to the U.S. We can minister to people here and there because God is with us. I love it when he says that. It just fills me with courage to hear his voice. What does it mean that God is with us? In 1995, when I was in college, the number one hit single of the year was um, Joan Osborne's One of Us. She got three Grammy nominations for that and then seven for her album, but it was her first, it was her debut album. Do you, does anybody from the 90s remember this? Yeah, okay, thanks for the hands. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. If God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see? This song became like the anthem of the year. And she was, I was like, I think that's, that's the song that put her on the map. And the only one she's still really remembered by. There was something in that song. It's a little bit like David's Psalm 8. Who are we that God is mindful of us? What is, how can this be that he includes us? But not only does he include us, but he comes to us. God was one of us and he came and his name was Jesus. He came a stranger in a manger. And his face, she asks, what would his face look like? Jesus showed us what God's face looks like. It would show tears, sorrow, joy, surprise, wonder, anger, pain. Jesus spoke our heart language. He was a man on a journey trying to bring his people home. The Apostle Paul would write the Philippians describing how Jesus did this. How did Jesus become ordinary, become one of us? How did Jesus have this? And he asks us, Paul is writing the Philippians and thereby asking us, this is in the Bible for us today, how can you have the attitude of Christ? Philippians 2, 5, you must have the same attitude of Christ. Could we get the next scripture? Thank you, Aaron. It's um, Philippians 2. Did I skip? Thank you. Philippians 2, verse um, 6. 
Did I not put Philippians 2.6 in there? There we go. Thank you. I must have skipped. I must have messed up. I added some scriptures. <laughs> I messed up a little bit. Um, it says you have to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Jesus gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave, like a stranger on a bus, and was born as a human being. The Greek words used in this verse are the same words that when it says he um, humbled himself and took the position of a slave, it's the same words as a king, when a king would take on. or modern day fairy tales like undercover boss, <laughs> anything like that. He took off his outward appearance and became human like us, a slave. Um, I heard a lecture by a guy, Dr. Jerry Root. He was explaining how when the commanding officers in the time of Rome and the Greeks when they would go out to battle and they were leading their forces before they would go out to battle, if they were in the front lines with the other soldiers, they would remove all their ranks. They would remove their outer clothes that would designate them as commanding officers. They would divest themselves of the outward manifestation of their inward reality. That's what Jesus did when God came to earth he divested himself. He humbled himself. He removed all of these. He didn't remove them, but he, he it's like he hid them. <laughs> he made himself human. This is a complicated concept. I cannot explain it all right now in this moment. It's called the kenosis passage. If you want to Google it and study some more, all the different theology about it. But the point is, the metaphors about the princess and the pauper or undercover boss or a king going out into the front lines, divesting himself of his rank and all of that before he goes out. None of these can compare, come even close to what Jesus did. They're all bad metaphors. Because Jesus humbled himself by being born a helpless and dependent babe in an obscure and oppressed place among a poor and despised people. He humbled himself with his mother and father, taking refuge in a placement for animals in a stable. I love it. God loves the animals. 
And you know, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Do we have 2 Corinthians 8, 9? I think. Thank you. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. It's amazing. Jesus fled as an exile to live as a foreigner in Egypt. He lived, he humbled himself as a son, as a sibling. How many of you as siblings have felt humbled? (laughs) What a humbling place to come. Caleb's like me. (laughs) What a humbling thing to be part of a family, to be part of a household, to do the chores, to take out the trash to get unfairly accused by mom of leaving your dishes in the sink. I don't know what it was, but but Jesus took that on with us. He submitted to work, likely learning the trade of a builder like his father, Joseph. He was humbled by time. Do we not hate time (laughs) sometimes? either how it ages us, or maybe when we were younger, we wish we were older, or maybe we wish had more time, or we wish we were spending less time during certain things. God humbled himself into 24 hours of the day, eight for sleeping, eight to 10 to 14, depending on his age. We have no idea what happened for Jesus for 30 years, except Luke knew we wouldn't believe the story was real if we didn't know Jesus was acting out when he was a preteen. Because when he was 12, he got lost. And that's in the record. (laughs) And causing consternation to his parents. Now, that helps us believe the authenticity of the story, right? God surrendered to a human body, experiencing temptation weakness, hunger, thirst. Jesus submitted to the Father and the Holy Spirit. If you read the Gospels, there's this constant interdependence. Every story shows Jesus relying on wealthy people to fund him. The women, Joanna, all of, and Susan supporting his ministry. He had, he was dependent on the support of his supporters. Just like Kelly Joe said earlier, who wants to ask people for money? No one wants to. Jesus was dependent on his supporters. He was dependent on people providing food. He was dependent on his disciples to spread the message because he couldn't do it alone. He depended and trusted in the will of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. Even in death, mocking humiliation and the nakedness of the cross, he became ordinary just like us, or the worst of us, I should say. Thank God we don't all have to go those places. That Philippians passage that I read is actually considered a New Testament hymn. A lot of scholars believe that the New Testament church would sing that song. 
And it's lined up that the first three verses, six, seven, and eight, take us lower and lower and lower in the song. He was obedient to death, a criminal's death on a cross. It's almost like that verse, he died a criminal's death on the cross, is like the bridge to a song, one of our modern day songs. And then the song comes back up into anthem and joy and glory and majesty in heaven. Um, Jesus is elevated. He's the name above all names. Every knee is going to bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there's this going down low in the song and coming up high. When Paul asks the Philippians to live for Christ in this way, he isn't telling them exactly what they should be doing. Henry, you should be doing this. Marie, you should be doing that. Leslie, you should do this. Amanda, do that. No, he's saying how we should do it. How we live life, how we go about life. We take on this going low and the Lord lifts us up just like this extraordinary God became ordinary like us. Paul did this. He modeled this for the church. He says this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to that law, I did this so I could bring to Christ whoever those bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not know the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. Verse 22, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. There's a Sri Lankan pastor and evangelist, D.T. Niles. I'll call him D.T. Niles. Do we have that quote? Thank you. And he's talking about proclaiming the good news. And he says, it's simply one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Do we take that posture when we're showing people to Jesus? Do we take that attitude of Christ, of a servant, of a slave, showing one beggar, showing another beggar where to find bread? Or do we come as the experts and the rulers and the authorities on how people should get bread? A few years ago, I have a couple friends who work with people experiencing homelessness. And um, oftentimes, especially at, the Christmas, at Christmas, right, we want to give, we want to um, provide. And that's good. When, when Utah Food Bank asks us to send them resources, we should do that, right? We sh absolutely should. But the people who are doing real work with those who need to find homes, you can't just show up and give a gift. And sometimes God works that way, and it's amazing. 
But most of the time, it takes relating to people and building trust, listening, time. You know, they have their guard up just as much as we have our guard up. We have to build trust with them. I think about Jesus coming as a person on the bus, becoming one of us, to build trust with us, to listen, to observe for 30 years before saying a word. There's a concept in language learning and in linguistics and parenting. It's where all of these different disciplines collide. Um, and there's this, this phrase, it's called heart language. And the idea is that the language you learn on your mother's lap is the most powerful language you will ever learn. It's the language that um, speaks to your emotions and speaks to your innermost being. It's called a heart language. In Bible translation, people want to translate the Bible because they want to get the Bible into the heart language of a people group. I was listening to the World Outreach Podcast, which is so good with Ben. I encourage you to listen to it just to hear different perspectives from around the world. But he was talking with a, a, a man who's working in Mozambique with a tribal group that doesn't have the gospel, that they, they don't have it yet in their heart language. And they're trying to reach, tell these people about Jesus. And they could just learn the trade language. In Mozambique, the trade language is Portuguese. And that's what everyone speaks. It's their second language, Portuguese. It's also the language of colonization, right? So if you really want to reach this tribal group that doesn't know about Jesus, you've got to learn their heart language, the language that they learned on their mother's laps. It changes everything, the discipleship, the wonder, the majesty, everything about God just so much more quickly becomes real when they know the heart language, when they can speak it in their heart language. There was a missionary named Hudson Taylor, I think in the 1800s, I don't know, I, I forgot to look this up. He was a Western missionary who went to China and you know what, he grew his hair long, wore a braid, he wore the clothes, he ate the food and all the other missionaries are like, you're not Chinese, you shouldn't do that. And he's like, clearly I'm not Chinese. <laughs> it's very obvious, but I wanna learn the heart language. I wanna eat the food. I wanna know the customs. I wanna be like the people here as much as I can so they know what, how far Jesus came to speak their language. Jesus left the record for us on God's heart for us. Jesus is the heart language. Him coming as a babe, him living on earth is the heart language of God. Here's what's cool. Jesus resurrected, right? And went to heaven. But who did he leave us? He left us the Holy Spirit. And you know what the first manifestation is of the Holy Spirit? There's fire, there's wind, and there are languages. Let's go to Acts 2. This is what happens in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit shows up. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I love, there's this big picture of the fire coming to all of these people, but it comes to rest on them individually, each one. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. It's like God saying, every nation I want included in this. And then verse 11 says, what happens next? The people say, we can hear these people with the Holy Spirit declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. How beautiful is that? Emmanuel, God is with us, and he speaks your heart language. He speaks my heart language. The Holy Spirit is here today, wanting to speak to you, wanting to speak to me, wanting to speak to your neighbor, your coworker, your boss, the student sitting next to you, the customer you are serving the other patient with you in the waiting room and the nurse taking your vitals. This extraordinary God came for ordinary us, became ordinary like us. Go with that thought this week. Amen. If you would like to learn more about following Jesus, about experiencing eternal life, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's fire. It's good. <laughs> Do not be afraid. Be courageous. Be bold. Talk to whoever brought you to church today. Talk to me. We have a prayer team over here at this table. Talk to Steve. He's always in the exit. We would love to pray for you to understand what it means to experience eternal life, to experience Jesus. We would love to pray for you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is here. The Lord is with you. The Lord is one of us. Extraordinary, unlike us, and one of us. It's a mystery of who God is. Amen. Amen. So God bless you today. Come to Christmas Eve service. It's going to be so beautiful. Say hello to Jeremiah, Ezra, and um, Laura Francis, and Jane, and McKinley. They're going to be playing special music for us. So come early so you can hear the prelude and postlude music um, and encourage, um, especially those young ones, in bringing their instruments to play. Amen. See you on Christmas Eve.